Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the Here's Johnny podcast. This is a very, very special episode. Uh, like we mentioned last week, Justin is out dealing with some stuff. So I messaged one person with the idea of doing a book review because we have talked about books before. And luckily, she got back and was able to do it. So I'd like everyone to welcome, for the first time, Matilda from The Zombie Girls. Hey, thanks for having me. No, thank you for coming on. It was very last minute, and you were you were all aboard. So I'm I'm really really excited. Me too. I'm excited to talk about this one. <laughs> I'm also pumped because you are the commissioner of our Dragula League. So if I can finagle a few points to stay on top <laughs> during this recording, this I was during disappointed the... last year. I didn't win, so I need to keep myself up there. Oh, this is so exciting! I got the outline, but I didn't realize there was going to be a bribery portion. <laughs> we can talk. We can talk about that in the, like behind the Patreon wall at the bribery portion of this podcast. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't let uh, Daddy know over there that yeah. I'm using behind the scenes power. But yes, and I, I told Matilda that when we have a new guest on, we always like to ask them some questions to kind of figure out their where they're at within the horror genre. So the first question is, what is your favorite scary movie? That's a good question. And one that I always struggle with. I always struggle with ranking like an absolute number one or like a desert island thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so I just went with one that I really love and kind of gets at so many different things I love. And that is Antiviral from Brandon Cronenberg. Um, I, I've never seen it. So what is it about? So it is about, um, it's a body horror movie, and it is about people who are um, in a clinic where they pay to, ha to be injected with celebrity diseases. So you can have... Really? Um, if it was a real thing, like, you know, so-and-so's cold sores or so-and-so's flu or whatever injected That's into disgusting <laughs> yes yeah so i i'm somebody who tends to like things on the more upsetting end of horror rather than the okay. gory <laughs> end of horror i like a kind of i like something that like stays with you and is unsettling um and so this is you know as when we do zombie girls um our selections and programming rotate through the guests and everyone's like matilda's mm -hmm. gonna put us through an ordeal um, <laughs> is usually what happens with mine, but everybody liked this one, so I recommend it. If you have not seen his movies, he also made Possessor. But Antiviral I, I was seen any of his, and my confession is like I'm also like body horror movies, like just give me the heebie-jeebies, so I tend to avoid them. But I, oh, I can check one out. This one might it, it might be tough if you don't like body horror. It's deep body horror. Um, and yeah, as soon as you said Cronenberg, I know Rachel fawns about him over in your guys' Discord for that yeah. very reason. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you might want to start with Possessor. Okay. <laughs> which is just more kind of like straight up violent. Um, okay. Yeah, if you can handle like straight up violence, that's a different thing. This is... Um, this is disturbing <laughs> and a little twisted, and that tends to be my favorite. So I'm super excited for his new thing. What is this new thing? Year. Um, the, I don't, I've been trying to avoid a lot of content because I don't, I just want to go in a little bit cold. Um, but yeah, I know I that the they're thing. currently battling an X rating. So. Oh, wow. We'll see how it goes or an unrated. Yeah. 
they're trying to get okay. it down to an R, is my understanding. <laughs> All right. How about your favorite scary television show? Right now, I've really been enjoying the um, Guillermo del Toro Cabinet of Curiosities, especially number four. I haven't gotten which, to that yet. Again, is body horror. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're okay. actually great. I've I've had a great time with all of them. I know it's like that one from him, and then the Pinocchio one are on my wife's uh, mm. like to watch list. So maybe we'll move it up then. Yeah, I don't know. Each one's about a different story, one. right? Yeah, each one's oh, a different story. Each one's a different director. Um, so okay. there's like Anna Lily Amanpour does one, um, or Amirpour does one. There's various. Um, that one's quite sad actually so just know that going in um <laughs> but they're beautiful like whatever the production value is on this that the i love anthology horror and it's like a perfect little anthology horror show okay cool all right i'll have to move that up next question who is your favorite horror monster and that's in quotation so you could pick like king kong or you could pick like hannibal lecter oh got it uh, my favorite is probably always going to be the xenomorph from Alien. Okay, okay, why? Um, just the design of it. Um, both the the xenomorph and the chestbursters and facehuggers in mm -hmm. Alien, all of them have this kind of like monstrous feminine stuff in them. If you Google what's underneath the facehugger, um. <laughs> <laughs> right like if you look at i don't know if you've ever seen it in real life but there's yeah. um there's one like up on the at that museum of pop culture in seattle there's one and it has like big 80s fingernails <laughs> like there, there's just this like kind of great monstrous feminine thing about it that i and i just love geiger imagery and so i love i love the alien movies for that okay cool that's mm -hmm. that's it's a cool terrifying. one she's terrifying Yes, I, I, the the first Alien is a very, very scary movie. I'm, I'm yes. not going to upset Rachel any further, but the first one is terrifying. The, the first one is my favorite is just... one. Yeah. Oh, really? See, yeah. I've only seen one and two so far, and I would tend to agree with you. I upset Rachel when we reviewed Aliens because of that. <laughs> <laughs> because you liked number one better? Yeah, I thought mm -hmm. two was more of an action movie than really like a scary movie. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, the first one is really spare and bizarre, right? And the second one is mm -hmm. very, um, like, it, it's kind of impressive, actually, that they were able to translate it yeah. into, like, a very 80s action, like, anti-capitalist action movie. Mm -hmm. um, but it's pretty different. When you put Bill Paxton, yes. you drop Bill Paxton in there, it's going to be pretty different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Bill Paxton made it into the Alien sequel and the Predator sequel. Yeah. <laughs> he's, just, he's just a guy for the sequels i guess yeah <laughs> all right next question what is your favorite horror book so my favorite horror book is a series um okay. of two and there was supposed to be a third one and it never happened and it's the parable of the sower parable of the talents series from octavia butler um there so i know octavia butler what are those books about they're kind of social horror they're about um but they're very gory especially the second one very violent <laughs> it's about um a teenage girl who is disguising herself as a boy to make the trip 
through California from LA where she lives in a gated, it's kind of near future California. And she, okay. and America has been taken over by a theocracy. And okay. the, the, it's kind of like a fascist theocracy. And she is, um, a young girl traveling north with her father, I believe disguised as a boy so that she's because she thinks this will make her less vulnerable. And it's mm-hmm. uh, a book where, like, there's been some, like, interesting, like, bio developments where um, women, when they were pregnant, like, intellectual women, when they were pregnant, took, um, or I guess maybe not when they were pregnant. Sorry, I'm not being so articulate about this plot. Um, no, you're great. You're great. <laughs> so the setup is that women in this world took an enhancer for their intelligence so a lot of professors take it a lot of like kind of like white collar women take it and what it does is that it causes a birth difference in their kids where they are empaths and not in a like tiktok you know (laughs) viral video empath way but you know like if someone is being hurt near them they feel actual pain and oh, so wow. this girl is like that. And so she, if someone is being hurt near her and she's on the road um, with, in a fat, trying to make it through this like fascist theocracy, like if she can be tortured by somebody feeling pain near her. And she's starting oh, yeah. to like create her own religion. So it's this like, gr- it's, re- it's a really phenomenal series of books and she's an incredible writer no it sounds really good so why wasn't there a third one does the story is it complete or does it leave you like i think it my my memory is that there was going to be a third one and octavia butler died before she wrote it um okay but she wrote it was um it was political horror right so she wrote the first one during Mm -hmm. bush one and the second one during bush two interesting yeah okay do you even with the story then like being kind of left open, do you f- still feel it's like worth the read? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I didn't know okay. there was going to supposed to be a third one until pretty okay, recently. Perfect. Um, yeah. I thought that that was the complete set when I read it. Um, but just know it's pretty, mm-hmm. it's rough stuff. Okay. So as, as we'll get into with this book and then what you're going to bring up in the patron chat, uh, I think we both know <laughs> that when it comes to horror books, I, I can handle that more so than I can the movies. I guess that's um, true. And you've been on our on our challenge. You've joined in our VC Andrews challenge, so I know you can handle some rough stuff in the. Yeah, the and books. what's next? <laughs> what we're waiting. That's a good like, question. We did Heaven. We did uh, what was one before Heaven? Audrina. We did my sweet Audrina. Um, I think we're gonna have to go into the like flowers in the attic series i think we're gonna have to go for the the originals i hate i hate to admit it but i think we do have to <laughs> i've been waiting because i need everybody else to get their try before i pick my book pick everybody read and i i don't know what i'm going to do yeah because i didn't read that kind of traumatizing stuff as a young boy growing up yeah <laughs> like, you didn't you didn't have anything <laughs> as a kid that you were like who let me read this i can't believe i'm reading this flowers in the attic my mom had me read Flowers in the Attic after I read it, and I think I was in like fourth or fifth grade. Yeah. And even though the the child sewer scene in it did not register with me, actually I didn't mm-hmm. even realize that was a thing until way later in life. The Flowers in the Attic scene was imprinted, and uh, yeah, yeah. So I think you're right, though. I think that has to be the next one. 
Yeah, or or one of the if you've read the first one, like one of the later ones. Although two of two of the zombie girls were raised right and were not required, <laughs> we're not allowed to read these. <laughs> we're not in a friendship group where this was like required reading, so um, they might have to start from scratch. Unfortunately. Yeah. Okay. And the last question for the getting to know you is what is your least favorite trend in horror? And then for example, mine, um, I don't like violence porn. Like the just the excessive like the later saw films or like hostile and stuff. Sure. I would definitely agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. Um and my least favorite trend or one of my least favorite trends and maybe I was just thinking about it because um, we were going to talk about this book is the kind Mm -hmm. of like purity culture around final girls. Well, that is good because this book (laughs) does not abide by that. I know, which is really one of the things I liked about it, which we'll talk about. Yeah. I think it's one of the reasons why, even though I love Laurie Strode I think it's why Sydney Prescott is my favorite final girl because mm. she's not perfect you know what I mean mm-hmm. yeah yeah okay cool actually I really like that and that is going to lead very well in our discussion but first um Justin and I always talk about like what's been new with us since we last recorded uh-huh so Matilda I'm curious if you've been watching anything reading anything uh anything like that We've been in our kind of like final push to, I don't know if you're in this too, to like watch all the 2022 stuff that we might have missed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like I've been watching a lot of movies and a little less TV, but I have been powering through both Wednesday, which I'm loving, um, but it's one of the ones that like my husband and I watch together. So I have to wait till he's home, till we're both home at the same time to watch it. Um, mm-hmm. And then I always love a cult documentary, so I uh, just finished The Vow season two. Which one is The Vow? The Vow is the one about Nexium, and season two is the is the trial. Okay, okay. Because yeah. sometimes I can get into those. Like I think the last one that I watched was the one on the 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 fertility doctor. Oh, I haven't watched that one. Should I watch that one? Oh, it made me, it made me feel so dirty. But oh. that's like kind of, I think, the point of those anyway. Mm-hmm. But just like how far reaching that man's like evil went. It's just crazy. Yeah. But I, I have heard of The Vow. I, I wonder where I've heard of it. But do you, is it, did you enjoy it? I did. You actually get to see kind of like the um, the arc of the second in command. Okay. Kind of starting with, I don't think anything was wrong in our organization and getting to a very different place. Okay. The more she learns. Okay. So that that is really fascinating. Yeah. And Wednesday, I, you, I do not know why Devin and I have been sleeping on it because we both love Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. And we both love the Avis family, but we haven't gotten to it yet. Maybe, I think Saturday we're planning on making pasta and, like, sitting in, like, just hanging out before all the, the holiday rush and stuff. Yeah. Maybe we'll just watch it all day Saturday. It's really good. It's really cozy and, like, it's got a little mystery, too. It's got Gwendolyn Christie cool. in it. Really? Yeah. She's the pr- she's the school principal. She's amazing. I, I saw that, uh, what's her face? Christina Ricci's in it. Yes. 
I was very happy to see that. She's having quite the resurgence between the Yellow Jackets and now this. I'm, I'm very really happy to is. see it. She really is. Yeah. Yeah. I was in love with her as a kid, so I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fine with it. Her That's and Winona totally Ryder. Totally valid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Wednesday in the Val season two, what else? Um, That might be kind of it for TV for now. How about you? Okay. Uh, so for TV for myself, uh, not a whole lot. Um, but I did. I am caught up with this newest season of Hell's Kitchen. Mm-hmm. I I just I love Gordon Ramsay, and the season was uh, older chefs versus younger chefs. Um, but I, I don't know. It's just it's Hell's Kitchen. Just Gordon Ramsay yelling at people, and they yeah. give him raw meat. <laughs> it's just easy <laughs> watching. And then um, Devin and I watch Lego Masters to kind of like decompress because it's just. Have you seen it? I haven't. What is it? So it's the they're on their third season. So it's a it's a competition show hosted by Will Arnett, and there's two like Lego Brickmasters. It's the judges, but they bring on pairs of people to have these crazy building challenges using Lego. That sounds fun. And and it's just super laid back. Like one episode we watched last week was it was the Brickminster Dog Show. They had to build dogs that could move based on, like, real-life dog models that were there with them. Mm-hmm. And then this last episode we watched, they just built uh, pirate ships. And, and how have, big like, are they? Are they, like, oh, they're huge. long? They're, they're huge? Yeah. They're monstrous, yeah. And it's just very light. Like, you know some reality competition shows, like Hell's Kitchen, for example, I guess, or Survivor, it's very, like, cutthroat? Uh-huh. In this one, it's, it's not like that at all. Like everyone, like all of like the competitors are like all friendly, and like the couple or the, the the pairing that me and Devin are like rooting for this year is like a a son who's really into Lego and his mom who like always did it with them. So like she's not like a Lego person, but she is always built with them, mm-hmm. and they've done some really cool stuff. And it's just it's just very lighthearted watching. Like there's like yes, there's stakes because they're competing to be the Lego master, but like there's none of that like survivor big brother kind of drama right do you know uh group therapists obsessively watch survivor really yeah I, I i'm not a group therapist so i didn't it. know it yeah but this is what i've heard is that group therapists love survivor just to see how people like react and interact with each other under the stresses yeah because they love watching group dynamics and thinking about group dynamics yeah it I watched a lot of the older seasons when I was in college. I had a friend. His name was Jamel. He was obsessed with Survivor. Like, it was his thing. Like, he had a blog where he had interviewed, uh, like, previous contestants and stuff. And I remember we were we were on campus, and he ran into someone, like, some administrative person who competed on, like, one of the earlier seasons of Survivor. And he literally stopped and, like, this, like, started talking to her. She's like, how did he recognize me? That was, like, 15 years ago. <laughs> he was obsessed with the show. So oh, she's man, going I totally about, about that. <laughs> yeah, the one obsessive who's like <laughs> season three and a half. <laughs> because like, because like, she lost like because I remember him talking about it. Like, she was like one of like, the first people voted out, but he like remembered her and like her whole story and stuff. I was like, what are you doing? Like, we, we have to get the class. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> uh, yeah, Survivor. Okay, any movies? I know you've been focusing more on TV, but did you, have, did you get any movies in recently that you want to talk oh, about? Oh, yeah. The, I've been watching, because we're trying to, like, plow through and make sure there aren't any, like, hidden gems in 2022. 
you know, at the okay. end of the year where you're like, oh, everybody said this is good, so I better watch it. Um, uh-huh. So we're going through our list. So I've got some, I've watched some really good ones recently. Um, okay, hit me with them. One is Resurrection, which is a what shutter. Is it's a shutter movie about a woman who is, I believe it's Rebecca Hall, and she's kind of falling apart as a guy from her past shows up. Okay. And it goes okay. weird, great places. Um, <laughs> there's a movie called Something in the Dirt. That's okay, excellent. I haven't heard of that either. That's, I'm just taking uh, notes as you're talking. So you are you are just adding to my watch list. I'm very grateful. Yeah, I totally recommend the first two. The third one is a little bit, is a little more horror comedy-ish, but I really loved it. It's called Some Like It Rare. And it I've heard is, of that. How have I heard of that? It's about um, a butcher who starts okay. hunting vegans. <laughs> That's how I heard it. You, did, did you going? post about that on Discord? I did. Yeah, and it's that is you know, how. Okay, I was wondering where I heard about that. Okay, it's a little, it's a little mean about vegans. Mm-hmm. So just know that going in. Like I'm pretty close to vegan, and I actually found it pretty funny. Um, but that might not be everybody's experience, but it's very, I really liked it. It's really, really fun. Um, and a true horror comedy. There's some of the other horror comedies I've watched recently that were like, "Eh, it's fine. Uh, but this one this year is the one that's standing out for me. Um, I'm currently in the middle of a movie called Pussy Cake, which is an Argentinian movie about a girl band like a punk rock girl okay. band who have to cope with some kind of like zombie alien situation. That sounds awesome. It is. I don't know what the fake vomit budget was on this movie, but it is significant. Um, okay. It's like trauma level kind of like gross out so far. Yeah. And okay. so far the structure of the movie is not like great enough to, for me to recommend it over that but if you love gross out particularly if you like vomit rec- strong <laughs> recommend for the first hour of pussy cake at least <laughs> so. okay yeah so that's are what i've been those are the ones that t- i've been thinking about like that maybe people haven't seen so much but so i know you guys do the zombie bites i mentioned this are you guys considering the menu for your horror movies of 2022 this year we are i don't think any of us have seen it yet um i have had a couple friends enthusiastically recommend it to me have you seen it yet oh yeah me and dev went and saw it opening weekend i I love anna taylor joy so that was all i needed (laughs) how how is it ralph it's amazing it's funny Mm -hmm. it's dark it's a very original and unique story which made it even better um I don't want to spoil anything because I, I think it would ruin the fun, but it it was just so good. Like I feel like people like we get all I get a lot of flack because like the Marvel movies are fun, but they're just very cookie cutter. And this was mm. just so unique and so funny and so like sad at times and scary at times. And Anna Taylor Joy and Ralph Fiennes acting opposite one another. Oh, that sounds incredible! Was remarkable. And, and they, they really are the focus of the movie, too. So 
Yeah, I've been, I've been waiting for you guys to talk about it over there, but I haven't heard anything. But yeah, it was awesome. So yeah, I don't think I'm, any I'm of us have seen it. Happy to hear it's on yeah. your guys' radar. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the only movie I've watched since I recorded last was, and I watched it because Devin was watching it. Uh, Falling for Christmas. It's What's the that? Lindsay Lohan uh, Christmas rom com on Netflix. Mm. It was. And. Ah uh, man. There are some times where I can watch a Hallmark movie and it's like, like I know what I'm getting into, but this one, it was just, it was fine. If you like a Hallmark movie, it's fine. Mm-hmm. It, but it's a, it's very much a Christmas Hallmark movie. Uh-huh. And that's just, at the end of the day, not my cup of tea. Like, around Christmas time, if it's like snowing outside, I can kind of get into it, but it was... It was whatever. Me and Devin had a very good fun, very fun time laughing and joking with it. Right. That's the good part about Hallmark movies, right? Is that you know, you kind of know where it's going. Yeah. Like we were watching the time of the movie. So we were preparing for the, for where she leaves the the new love boy and this, all that. It was, it, they're very formulaic. (laughs) So you know, you're getting when you watch them. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Have you? Did you see the one? Was it twenty twenty? Dolly Parton made a movie that was like a Christmas in the Town Square movie. That was no. And I say this as someone who has loved her my entire life, indefensibly terrible. Like I would watch it again. <laughs> it is awful. <laughs> but sometimes that's yes. what you want in a Christmas movie. I agree. Like, like sometimes it's okay to watch like. Like one of the classics or whatever, but sometimes you just want the the cheesiness that comes with Christmas. Yes. And that's all you want. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you aren't really a... You don't play a lot of video games. Have you done any art projects then recently that you want to talk about? Because I know you're, you are very talented that way. Oh, you know, I haven't done any, but I did go see an interesting art exhibit that had a warning. I don't know if okay. you saw this in the Zombie Girls Discord. I posted the warning sign. It said something like it was a um, it was an Oakland Museum art exhibit called like Hella Feminist. And there was a little it was like warning. There's themes of kind of like consent violations in this. And then it also warned that there was art painted with menstrual blood and i absolutely missed that and um suggestive fruit massage <laughs> like okay. this is the little warning okay. <laughs> and it was very suggestive they were not lying um but there was some really cool art in there including like um this enormous wreath of hair extensions that's that, like a six foot wreath that, that um, like a black artist had made about like women and their hair that was this enormous really? multi-textured like speaking of you know slight body horror I know some people are grossed out by hair I think it's really awesome <laughs> like um, uh-huh. just this huge installation of hair and then in another part of the exhibit there's like lights made out of hair yeah I haven't really Lights done any... out of hair? Yeah, like these big... It was like a um, like a solar system with different little planets, and the planets were made out of hair. Really? Yeah. Yeah, That's that part was really, really cool. really interesting. Did you like it? 
Like, was, was it a cool exhibit? It was a great exhibit. Yeah. And then cool. they'd done, like, cuts of, like, local folks and things like that. But, um, yeah, it was a pretty well-curated exhibit. Our little museum in town is really cool. So, plus they have a new chef yeah. in the cafe that has excellent soul food. So. Okay. Cool. It's always worth a try. Uh, I did yeah. not do anything as cool like that artistically. I, I did uh, play some video games. I beat uh, Arkham Asylum, which is like a Batman game. Mm-hmm. The the voice actor who did a lot of Batman's voice work, Kevin Conroy, recently passed away. Oh. And so I, I kind of wanted to go back and play that. It's, it's a really good game if you like Batman and like Joker and stuff. And then I also started uh, Final Fantasy VI, the Pixel Remaster on Steam. So mm. nothing nothing too crazy for me. And Can then I ask finally, a dumb how- question? Oh, sorry. Can I ask a dumb no, question about are- video games? Because it's taken, it's of been course. years since I've played any. How long uh-huh. does it, how long is a typical game now? Like to beat a game, if you like sit down and you're like, okay, I'm going to start from the beginning and I'm going to go all the way through, what kind of hour investment are people looking at? So that is an incredibly awesome question. So there is a spectrum. Mm-hmm. There are some indie games, like we just reviewed The Last Door a couple weeks ago, and that game was like three hours and it was all self-contained. Like it was, everything was done right there. That's Arkham like Asylum, I think, kind of, you can do it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it was like a point-and-click adventure where you had to like figure out the mystery behind this character you were playing as. Um, and then there's other games similar to that, like Devin recently just played the new Monkey Island game. Um, mm-hmm. And that one, she 100%ed it. So she did like all the achievements and stuff, and that took her 30 hours. But to just play the game outright, I think it was like six, seven hours. Um. And that's kind of the rub, like, for myself, like, I, Justin flies through games because as he, he reviews games, he's a games writer, and so he's not, like, playing all the games to, like, 100% completion, but for me, I like to do that. Like, I like to have the completion thing done. So Arkham Asylum took me, like, 11 hours, but if I had just played the story, it would have taken, like, four or five. Mm-hmm. And, like, Final Fantasy VI would probably be, like, 10 hours, but since I'm going to do, like, 100%, it might be upwards of 30 but then wow. there's the different spectrum of games, which are like games as a service, where there is no end. Um, for the last couple years, up until probably last March or April, I was playing a game called Destiny that was kind of like that, where basically there's a new season every three months, which kind of brings you new content, and there's like a loophole for different weapons you need to go grind, and there's different raids that come out like once a year. And so there is no end. Like, there is there is nothing to signify your completion of that game. That's like, kind of cool, because then with... you can go back to the world and do, like, side things. Or, yes. like, add other elements from... to it. Uh-huh. Ex- exactly. And, like, I think that's kind of what World of Warcraft is like, too. I never played World of Warcraft, so I really don't know. I've never really played an MMORPG. Mm-hmm. But Destiny is very close to that. But for myself, I, I like... In like I like solo games, like playing I like playing video games by myself and like challenging like the computer like me versus the computer more so than anything. So and I also like to achievement hunt, so like find the rare and trophies and everything. Mm-hmm. So it's a spectrum. So and there's a website that I use religiously, and I think it helps a lot of people too, which is why I like using it. It's called How Long to Beat. And basically, people submit their game times for how long to take to beat the main game, how long to do the main game plus some side missions, and how long to take to 100% it. 
and on what different platforms you played it on and it gives you like an aggregate of what the community like how long it takes people to beat a video game oh that's so handy. you kind of know yeah. what you're getting into before you before you like commit to it mm-hmm. because i i've always liked playing video games and i i find them relaxing but the same yeah. that's kind of why i've gotten away from the games of the service because like there's a really nice feeling when you beat a game and you get mm-hmm. the credits right like you complete the story and when you're playing those games as a service you never get that because it's like oh i beat this raid and now it's on to the next thing <laughs> like there's no like release of completion i guess uh-huh right there's no like victory lap yeah exactly exactly mm-hmm. and and I, I i do very much like that so yeah but yeah. i guess that's true the last thing i did play um is that for rachel's job uh she was asked to come and review a sandbox vr experience oh which was okay. like an in-person vr thing so six of us went um and played and all of us except for rachel and randy were like we don't play video games we're gonna we're all gonna die and we're sorry like we are a liability and they were like no no, no come <laughs> um and it was so fun it was so fun yeah. you're like in this full vr suit you can see your friends you can see um your friends little names on their back you really? can hear your friends and talk to your friends in there yeah on the so little when headsets. i played vr in the past I, I get sick did you find that at all being fully immersed like that I didn't get sick. No, there was a cool. very, it was interesting when everybody is about, I don't know, half an hour, 45 minutes. When you take okay. everything off, everybody's like sweaty. Yeah. Like sweatier <laughs> than you realize. But there was some, there was like something built into the game where a helicopter came about 20 minutes in and it pumps the, the air, <laughs> the air conditioning down on you. And you're like, oh, that's well-timed. That's good. It's like, so it was kind of really like, that is uh, so cool cool you down like in the middle of the game in a way that was cool that's yeah awesome. even so that's i have really to say cool. even if anybody's listening who doesn't play any games like those vr things are super fun and pretty yeah, self-explanatory mom... and you can hate heal each other yeah and devin's mom does uh beat saber like the vr like with, with the headset it's mm-hmm. like her morning cardio Oh, I can see how that would be super fun. Yeah, and like she just turns it up and she just moves fast, but she she loves it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I that's, that's I could super see cool. That. I did not know you did that. That's yeah. Would and you it do it like again? A, oh, absolutely. And there were like zombies cool. coming at you all the time. Like all of you have to form a tight circle and fight off all these zombies, and you pick your weapon. So I. I have to recommend if anybody does this one you want the pistol in one hand and the um what's my other thing it was like a like a hand saw okay the hand saw okay. Was very satisfying close-up violence mm-hmm. and rachel rachel kept saying that because she had something that was like a longer gun and i kept coming behind her there were like zombie dogs and you had to get the zombie animals that were low and so mm-hmm. I could, she said she kept seeing my hand come around her with a saw on it, just like <laughs> getting everybody who's attacking <laughs> her knees. That's awesome. Okay, yeah. I'll look into that. Hope, maybe there's a place like that around here we could do. That, 
That sounds like a really fun, like, group activity, too. It was so fun. And then afterwards, they make a little, like, best of video of you. Uh-huh. Of, like, your best moments. And then they, they make you do a little That's dance so sequence cool. at the end. It was great. Yeah, Randy was, like, born to dance in the dance sequence. So <laughs> that's what we all learned. <laughs> okay. And then finally for the intro, what books have you been reading? It's a little embarrassing. I've been reading um, some comfort YA because that's my, like, my young adult comfort I novels. I <laughs> read young adult all the time. It I understand entirely. Right? There's that, like, Libby app from the library, and you just download them to mm-hmm. the Libby app, and then you can do whatever you're doing while you're reading. So my most recent one I read was Our Crooked Hearts by Melissa Albert, which is, um, okay. like, a good, solid, um, witchy mother-daughter YA. Um, okay, And, like, fun. a good then-and-now structure. But it's not as good as the thing that made me fall in love with Melissa Albert as an author, which was um, The Hazelwood did you read the Hazelwood from a few years ago? That was I like a, it's like a fairy tale. Um, I was looking for things that were like alternatives to Harry Potter, which I also loved, and J.K. Rowling is okay. trouble. So um, the Hazelwood yeah, is a really, really fun universe, and there's a couple, there's two or three of them, um, but the first one is the best. And so, if anybody loves okay. kind of like modern fairy tale, Alice in Wonderlandy kind of parallel universe stuff. Um, uh-huh. Hazel, the Hazelwood is so good. I bought it for like three people for Christmas this year. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah. And then the other one I've been reading, and I have to find the author, is a book called Rotters. Okay. And Rotters is also a YA novel, but a very long YA novel um, about a guy whose mother dies and he goes to live with his dad and it turns out his dad is a professional grave robber oh man and it's gruesome and weird and it's very very enjoyable so far okay cool that's actually yeah. that's interesting i i think young adult i i love novels like like speaking of that like I'm listening to the series of Unfortunate Event audiobooks right now. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Are you familiar with those? Yes. And mm-hmm. Tim Curry's a narrator for them. And uh, I'm on the second to last one. I'm on the penultimate peril. And mm-hmm. I haven't read those books since I was a kid. And having Tim Curry read them to me, it's it's been really special. I'm actually kind of sad that I'm so close to the series being over because they were so great. Yes. Um, I'm. I just finished the Hunger by Alma Katsu last week. Um, I've heard of that one. What is that one? It. So I got it because it's a historical fiction retelling of the Donner Party. Mm, uh huh. And I didn't know what to expect. I knew there was like some kind of supernatural element to it, but. It starts off kind of slow, but I love what it did with all of its characters by the end. The focus of the Donner Party actually focuses on the, 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 the matriarch, Tamsin, which mm-hmm. I didn't expect, and that was cool. Uh, and then like the reveal of what's actually happening, I didn't see coming, which was awesome. I, I do think it's a little slow at times, but I know that the author, I was reading like, the afterwards or whatever... She took a lot of care to 
because obviously she's writing about historical fiction, so there's a lot of like history with Native Americans being poorly treated, especially by Western oh, settlers. Oh, sure, yeah. So she, so they they, they really tried to make sure that when they were telling the story, that they kept that historical accuracy while also being a lot more socially correct. And I felt that they did a really good job with that. So I, I liked it. It wasn't like a five out of five. It was like a four out of five, I guess, for me. Um, but the ending alone was was worth the read. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the book I'm reading right now is called The Last Days of Jack Sparks by Jason Arnop. Um, TikTok has been very good for me finding these books I've never heard of before. And I think between TikTok and the library, it's one of the reasons why I've really gotten a lot more into reading this year yeah. than I have in like years previous. I've really like rediscovered like my love of reading. And uh, this one is about a author who does like a lot of like extreme writing. Uh, like he wrote a he wrote about getting addicted to drugs and like stuff like that. And the book starts off like there is no hiding it. Like the person who is writing this story is dead. Mm. But he's trying he was going out to see if ghosts and demons and stuff were real. Interesting. And basically, so it's his manuscript and his brother is editing it post-mortem, like post his Jack Sparks' death. And like there's footnotes and there's like, after end, at the end of each chapter, there's stuff where the brother went and like interviewed some of the people who jack sparks was talking to for their perspective so like you're reading this and then you you know you're reading you can't trust because of like the the post chapter analysis or whatever but it's also very much focused on like the social media age like jack sparks is like addicted to social media Mm -hmm. so like he'll literally be talking about how he's interviewing somebody and he's like on twitter like making fun of them or like posting pictures of his food but it's important not only because it's like a criticism of that but also like the big mystery and this isn't giving anything away is that someone sends him a very mysterious youtube video so it has kind of like that ring vibe to it Mm -hmm. um i'm like 140 some yeah i'm like 140 some pages into it i only started it uh sunday yesterday uh it's awesome it's it reads really fast it's it's very very cool and yeah so i'm I'm digging that nice but yeah that's all i've really got for what's new so matilda if you're ready do you want to talk a little bit about my heart as a chainsaw sure i would love to all right let's get into it Take me to your heart, 
Everybody, so we are going to discuss My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones, and this is your first, last, and only warning about spoilers. Um, I, I don't want to discuss it without doing that, and I've been waiting to discuss this book at length with somebody, uh, and so you'll have to check it out yourself if you're interested in our discussion, or if you don't care about spoilers, go ahead and listen. But some background on Stephen Graham Jones. He is a Blackfoot Native American author who writes experimental fiction, horror fiction, crime fiction, and sci-fi. Not only is he a prolific writer, he is also a professor of English at the University of Colorado Boulder. His novel, The Only Good Indians, which is the first book by him I read, won the Ray Bradbury Prize for Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Speculative Fiction, as well as the Bram Stoker Award. Two others of his books also won the Bram Stoker Award, Night of the Mannequins, and My Heart is a Chainsaw. Specifically about My Heart is a Chainsaw, I found out during my research that it is the first in a trilogy called the Indian Lake Trilogy. Book two in this trilogy, entitled Don't Fear the Reaper, is expected to release February 7th of 2023. Rolling Stone praised My Heart is a Chainsaw for being both an homage to the trope and a big old fuck you to the concept that only good girls can prevail. Yeah. And like I was telling Matilda before we started recording, I could not find a whole lot about him or like the history behind this book. So that's that's what I got. But Matilda was kind enough to be willing to do the summary. So again, there will be spoilers. <laughs> so yes. you have been warned. Yes. The floor is yours. Thank you. So I was telling Larry before the show I read this like nine months ago so I, I reread I <laughs> went through and reread pieces of it again to remind myself and I was like oh yeah oh yeah there's so many different plot kind of elements going through this um, going through this book like so many different pieces so Larry definitely mm-hmm. as I'm going feel free to jump in and be like oh right but there's also this other thing um, okay. I'm sure I may not be completist here um but in my heart is a chainsaw we follow jade who is a 17 year old indigenous girl just back from an eight week leave after a suicide attempt Um, and we immediately see that she is charged with community service uh ordered to community service for misuse of the town canoe and kind of that blew my mind yeah (laughs) she's the right away at a suicide attempt and they're like yeah you have to use us for bleeding out in the canoe i was like what the hell (laughs) right like so you get like immediately that she's criminalized for whatever's going on with her Mm -hmm. um and you get that she's kind of an outcast both in town and in her school um she lives in proof rock idaho and she is a horror obsessed girl who finds both inspiration and refuge in slasher movies and you see this through the subchapters Slasher 101, which are also her extra credit for her history teacher, Mr. Holmes. 
Jade is clearly mm -hmm. somewhere between an outcast and a pariah at her school in her town. And from early on, we learn that she prefers to spend as little time as possible at home. Amazingly for Jade, Proofrock is also the site of a real-life massacre many years earlier at a camp she calls Camp Blood on the far side of the lake. As Jade returns to school and takes notice of the current events of the town, she feels certain that all the clues are pointing to upcoming events where another cycle of killing will begin. These include recently disappeared tourists, a conglomerate of wealthy families developing in the for developing the forest on the far side of the lake and gentrifying native land, and a new girl at school named Letha Mondragon who has Final Girl written all over her. Interestingly, while Jade finds comfort and a way to understand her experience in the slasher genre, she never imagines herself as a final girl in the first half of the book. She's very clear that she's not cool enough, not pure enough, and not a virgin. This starts to change a bit at the end, and I'm super curious to talk about that part. Um, yeah. Jade's development in how she thinks about herself is a huge part of the book, and one that I think bears discussing, especially as we learn more about her actual family history and suicide attempt. Okay, so here's more spoilers. Yeah. When Letha gives Jade's letters to Sheriff Hardy implicating her father in sexual abuse, Mr. Holmes, the history teacher, tries to engage with Jade using horror as a metaphor asking why she doesn't talk about rape revenge. And she says, the reason rape revenge isn't a slasher is that the slasher and the final girl would have to be the same person. The final girl mm -hmm. and the spirit of vengeance are in opposition, not in the same jumpsuit. That would, that would be like Batman peeling his cowl off and being the Joker. It just doesn't work. But by the third act of this book, Jade ends up becoming that hybrid of a slasher and a final girl exacting violent revenge on her father but ultimately i think we also have to talk about the scene with the bears <laughs> so that's my synopsis of this one and i know like i said there's no. so many threads in this book um yeah and it's so interesting because the scene with the bears like i don't even remember much about it but it yeah. affected you and rachel a lot mm-hmm and it's crazy, so I definitely should talk about it. Uh, so there's a lot to unpack here. And yes. The first question I want to ask is a little bit separate than, like, from the book. It's more about Jones's prose. And I wanted to know your thoughts on it. Yeah, so I did this one um, as both an audiobook and a physical book um okay. like a written word book um i often read that way and kind of go back and forth um and i found it yeah cool. i found it more convincing and less stilted as an audiobook okay interesting and i think when i was reading it it was a little tougher but i when i when it was an audiobook i was totally buying it um, as okay. a teen, uh, like I get nervous when there are adult men writing teenage girl voice, and I feel like it's yeah. pretty effective in terms of her kind of like defensive, like a, you know, like a kid who's really, really into something as kind of a defensive way to understand their world. Um, has that kind of like obsessive, almost arrogant kind of thing about how they talk about yeah. things. I I was buying it. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. I think that's a very good point because, like, I also get nervous when I see that kind of stuff happen. I think the best one, and we'll come back to this later, was Paul Tremblay wrote from that perspective in A Head Full of Ghosts. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, I think he nailed it there too. But I, I, th- I thought he did well writing. Like I believed it. My problem with it, and I have the same problem with the only good Indians, is that there is something about his writing that I find it like I like to sink into a book. Like I mentioned, like I read 140 pages, like in like 24 hours. Uh huh. And it, I like to like fall into a book, and I find with his writing for both. My Heart of Chainsaw and The Only Good Indians. Like, I have to, like, at times force myself to keep reading. Like, it's like... It's not oh, that the story isn't good. Because I, I, I enjoy the story. It's more that, like, there is something about the way he crafts his narrative or he writes his sentences that I find difficult to immerse myself into. Mm-hmm. And so and that's why I was more wondering, because I... You're the only person who I've discussed with his books that who actually have read his stuff, and so that it's interesting that you find it as an audiobook. It's a lot easier to like take in the story because I was interested the whole time, but there were times where I just like fell off and like had to like put the book down, even though I was interested in what was coming next. Yeah, that's interesting. My my experience of this one is I did have to go back in the third act and read physically what had happened because okay. I think I was so overwhelmed and dissociated by the like the acceleration of violence <laughs> at the end of this book where I was like wait who's yeah. where in this lake and who's killing who and whose head is still attached oh my and, gosh like yes. it just it just escalated at the end to such a degree um and there were so many kind of different story elements coming together about people's motives that it was hard to track. Mm-hmm. And so that time I had to go back um, and do it. Cause I, and I couldn't tell if it was like, plus there's the reveal about dad. Yeah. Right. I, that I, I, I think is save... a little bit like, whoa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And like, I think that's the second thing on here, but I think we should probably see that's so closer to the end. Because um, after hearing your review, I, I, there's other things I want to discuss. Yeah. How did you like the the cornucopia of slasher references throughout the entirety of this book? So I thought it was really effective. Um, and I am somebody yes. who slashers are like not my favorite horror. Okay. By a lot. Um, and as a matter of fact, in... Um, you know, I really loved disturbing movies as a kid and the kind of like late 80s slasher fest kind of movies turned me off of horror for a long time. Um, sure. Yeah. Just because of the kind of like dated misogyny that I think a lot of slashers are trying to work their way through right now, which is cool. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And and I kind of loved how accurate it was that at times I was like, oh, my God, stop. And <laughs> And I think that's super <laughs> accurate about how a teenager would talk about something. I agree. Yeah. And did you read Final Girl Support Group? I did. Mm-hmm. So that was unique because it was presenting this, the final girls as like as if they were real. Yes. I, I liked it. But I liked this one more because, especially as we found out more about Jade's past, it was... I don't think I've ever read a narrative... I mean, I, I definitely haven't. Where our main character to dissociate from like the shit that she is in, like the crappy life that she has, mm-hmm. is connecting with the Laurie Strodes and the Sydney Prescotts and the Nancy Thompsons. Like, 
and like using like those rules and those guidelines to like hold on to reality the best she can right and i and the thing is is like it's again like coming for myself as like a a guy growing up or like a boy falling in love with the horror movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is a perspective i never really thought about and i think it's honestly really powerful because you're right some of those old slasher movies have a lot of misogynistic tropes like it's the reason why i'm not a big fan of friday the 13th is because i feel like mm. it's like the worst of all of them and i think it's just so interesting to read about a girl who connects with those final girls similar to how i as a boy would connect to like batman do you know what i mean right yes and even though she didn't see herself as a final girl type material she still like related to their stories and their struggles and then trying to like to make it through to the end which i found really really interesting I found it so interesting too, and especially in contrast to the final girl support group, where I feel like much of the internal life of that character was written about being in current physical pain. <laughs> this is the yeah. worst pain I've ever felt. Right, like that. It's it's very like action driven in that yes. one. Whereas with this one, we get this kind of character arc with her, where she's clearly both characters are preppers to some degree right like the character in final girl the main character in final girl support group whose name is escaping me like she's clearly a prepper for something bad is about to happen again he's going to come back right yep and jade as we as it turns out is also kind of a like she's using slashers to process the experience of violence that she's had Mm-hmm. And she's and the structure of rules about how to about survival are very comforting to her. It's almost like this kind of like, if I could get to being a final girl, this can't ha- nobody can hurt me again. Yeah, it's like all if the I can learn, crap learn I've enough. gone through. Yes, is to like help me get through the hell that's ahead of me. Like this is all prepping me to to the, for the final confrontation yeah and one of the things i especially loved is how much she feels reflected like on going back and reading some parts of it again how much she feels mm-hmm. re- like her experience reflected that like adults are no help right like she says really yeah. explicitly like yeah. cops and parents and teachers they can't do shit for you like this yep. is how you have to face a monster because the adults can't do anything for you I think something else that I really enjoyed is obviously she meets Lethamon Dragon and just immediately sees her as the pure final girl. Like, puts mm-hmm. all those attributes on her. And even though she makes it very clear she can't be a final girl, and we'll get into, like, the reasons why she... Because of the purity and stuff. It's... I noticed as the narrative went on, she starts to doubt Letha not only being a final girl, but being even the slasher, right? But, like... She starts putting those final girl characteristics onto herself. Yeah. And it's very subtle, and I liked it. It's like, why not me? Like, mm-hmm. if Letha's not going to do it, why can't I do it? And I found that really refreshing. It was, like, a really nice, like, growth for her. You know what I mean? Like, just yeah. like, yeah, I love these. I know these roles. Why can't I be this person? Right. And that Letha keeps kind of, like 
disappointing her. Yeah, yeah. Right? Exactly. <laughs> because clearly, like, what she's, she sees her in the, like, school bathroom, and right, and it's just this full projection and kind of crushy mm-hmm. thing, right, that she has with her. Um, but, like, it has very little to do with who Letha is, <laughs> actually. It's just yeah. about, like, her ideas about Letha. And so she actually, yep. like, is forced to kind of look at herself a little more accurately through that. So I have a light question before we kind of get into more harder stuff. Yeah. Did you also dye your hair with shoe polish and, like, food dye? Is that a thing that girls did growing up? No. You know, so I didn't, although, you know, she lives in Idaho. And definitely there was an era where, like, you had to travel to get certain kinds of hair dye. So I definitely had yeah. friends that used to dip their hair in hot Kool-Aid. Because hot Kool-Aid will do it really? a little bit. Like not the, uh, you can, I still dye yarn with it. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Really? Okay. Yeah, like with the unsweetened packets. Because what you need for dye is you need the color and then you need a mordant. And the, and usually that's like acid, right? And so okay. unsweetened Kool-Aid is dye, flavor, and citric acid and so it'll dye that's why it dyes wool it'll dye your hair um it won't hold so well but you know Uh people would definitely dip their dip their hair in hot kool-aid that's that's crazy it was like when she was talking about it like i felt it like so one of the reasons why i wear hats a lot is because i found that any product i put in my hair turns my hair into a helmet or into like a really oily sticky mess so i hate putting product in my hair and so when she was talking about like the gunk that her hair had turned into it like physically made me like hurt because i know a similar feeling to that that's why when she finally cut her hair off i was like yeah girl get that you have to get that shit off like i I know that feeling like it's got to go and I don't know. I just that was just something that like really stuck out to me because it, it was like constant throughout the book was her like messing with her hair color, right? And trying to like use what was available to her, right? Like I think that's yeah. actually part like her journey with her hair is actually kind of similar to how she talks about slashers is that she's going to use what's on hand. Yep, I agree. I, okay. I will say Let's the parts getting... that were very relatable was that like she's she sees black stuff in the sink and she's like oh it's my tears because all the stuff like all the heavy eye makeup yeah. and all the hair like i will say that was relatable to me where you're like okay oh, I, <laughs> I leak everywhere like to you know most people don't have like goth coloring generally so you're putting all this shit on yourself <laughs> to like darken things up and whatever and then it like leaks everywhere right it, like it's like a yeah if you ever watch downton abbey where the guy downstairs Mm -hmm. one of the butlers is like combing his hair with shoe polish and he's leaking like yeah i was not allowed to have white shirts as a teenager because they would all have big (laughs) red i had fire engine red hair and they had big red the bathroom was red my collars were red my sheets were red my towels were red like it was just it was a hazard (laughs) do you watch always sunny in philadelphia yes did you see the episode where it's revealed that rudy giuliani's leaking hair was because frank was doing a really cheap no like hair dyeing salon in the basement oh, no. and so no. it's revealed the reason why it happened was because frank was doing a really shitty job and he's the reason why he was leaking all over Amazing. the place 
Oh, that episode's that was a good one. Okay. God, I love Frank. So let's. Yeah. Me too. That show is just it makes me so happy. So let's get a little heavier. Before we get cause yes. I, on this list, I'm kind of hopping around, but before we talk about Jade's past and the reveal of all that, I want to kind of talk about your perspective on if we can trust Jade's point of view and how much did you feel about what she was relaying to us could be trusted versus her building up in order to like approach the trauma that was ahead of her or behind her too. Yeah, this is such an interesting question because I think I trusted it. Um, really? and I, okay. And, yeah, and I since read that a lot of people, you know, and there is a kind of surrealist fiction thing going on mm-hmm. immediately, right? Like when the tourists disappear. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so there's some magical realism here. So sure. Um, yep. I feel like there are moments where the author drops clues. And so we feel like we can see things about Jade that maybe Jade's not seeing. Yeah. Um, but, or that she's alluding to, but like, or wants to kind of like touch and then trampoline away from, right? Like emotionally, like she doesn't yeah. want to touch him. Um, but it didn't occur to me, maybe this is really not the smartest of me but it didn't occur to me that she might be like making things up so tell me about what you feel like she might be kind of like inventing out of whole cloth the first time i kind of got a vibe that that maybe what she was telling us we couldn't relate to was at the very beginning when she left her dad's house because her and his friend were fucking awful yeah and she went to the construction site Uh uh-huh and safety glasses and all them were sitting there and she's like saying what she's saying like about slashers and friday the 13th and all that jazz right yeah and the people around her are talking like like she's not saying anything oh so so that was the first time where i was like is is she having, having that conversation in her, head. in her head yeah yeah that would make and so like, much sense and that was the first thing that kind of tipped me off. And that kind of goes back to the prose, too. Like, I didn't know if that's just the way. Because in Only Good Indians, there's a couple of segments that are similar to that. Nothing like this. But there are a couple of moments in that book that do something kind of similar. So there was that that kind of alluded me to it. And then the other thing is, I know the book in Slashers in general, you aren't supposed to trust authority. But I definitely felt like Mr. Holmes, her teacher, and then the sheriff truly wanted what was best for her. Yeah. Like, I I did not get, like, I I felt like they were very genuine. I think the teacher more so even than the sheriff, because the sheriff obviously makes her have, like, do community service for a suicide attempt. And then, like, fires her when she obviously reacted for, like, a cry for help. Yeah. (laughs) Um but whatever uh like although i think i i agree they... i think both of them are very well intentioned even if they're not so yeah. able to fundamentally change her situation mm-hmm. and that all kind of culminated in the scene because like letha i actually thought she was a slasher from the beginning that was my pick mm. who it was and obviously i was wrong but i especially when it started leaning that way i was like oh yeah it's her and her dad like okay i'm, I'm with that oh yeah i was with dad mm-hmm yeah and but the scene where they confront her on the bench not only did it make me like physically ill like yeah 
them trying to broach it with her and then going to talk to her mom and everything. And like you said, the whole rape revenge discussion mm-hmm. was a lot. There was just like, it was, that was like the first time where I felt like I could trust her because I feel like she's trying to like guide people. Like there's a slasher running around. There's a killer running around. We got to figure out what we're going to do. Like, you know, like we're getting ready for like the final confrontation, like all that stuff. Right. I feel like that was the first time when I started trusting her because I found it very hard that her mom wouldn't have, in that moment, revealed the truth. Yeah. And so that kind of leads into the question that I do want to discuss with you. Mm-hmm. Were you prepared when the revelation came about Jade's past? Because I was not. It hit me like a train. I think I was, um, but I think that is about the way that I also have kind of secondary PTSD from my work. (laughs) Um, sure, sure. Like we have a teenage girl with a suicide attempt, um, who doesn't want to go home. Who lives with a guy with kind of disinhibited, who's pretty disinhibited and she doesn't want to go home. Like, I... Yeah. I, I mean, I know there are, like, other Easter eggs for other kinds of violence with him also, right? That kind of, yeah. you're kind of wondering, like, what, what flavor of this is this? But I think... Yes. Um, and the fact that she's, like, not so self-aware and she has this very complicated relationship to slashers where she's like, everybody look at this and don't look at me. Yeah. I think that part kind of and and some of the body stuff maybe. Okay, that she what, talks so? about. Like like some of the self-harm stuff. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So, obviously I don't have the expertise or the background like you do with it, but the one thing and I think it's the reason why I was so blindsided when it did finally come out mm-hmm. was maybe this is just me being naive or whatever, but the mom abandoning her after all of that and leaving her there when she knew everything and then having an an instance where, like, Jade and herself would have been protected from the monstrosity. Because he's, like, he's not a powerful guy in town. Like, he's a a piece of shit. And, like, Mm -hmm. it's just... I... And that led me to believe maybe it was more, like, a different flavor of violence, like you said, and not that. right. But like I said, by, by that point in the story, I had my distrust of Jade's narrative had changed, so like I, I was buying into it, so I never doubted it, and it was just the way it was like it came to her in that lake of blood, and the way she was talking about it, and seeing her dad, who she saw as like the ultimate villain, more so than this spectral ghost mm-hmm. running around and ripping people's jaws open. Yeah, like I don't know, I guess the mom abandoning her to me was like the biggest reason why I couldn't like, like why I guess I was so blindsided because that's so fucked. I don't even know how yeah. way to say it. Like I just, just, I don't, I don't even understand. Like I don't understand you divorced this man. You left this man and you didn't take your daughter with you when you get to take her to a clinic because she might've been pregnant because he raped her in the shower. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know that to me was like really hard and 
I know that Stephen Graham Jones, especially from reading Lincoln Indians and from what I, a little bit I've been able to read, like he tries to talk about a lot of issues that are in like Native American culture, like especially uh-huh. today, like alcoholism and drug use and stuff. And like, so I didn't know if he was trying to tell like a like a bigger story there, but that's just something I don't even have any information to even go off of. Right. It was just hard. It was like gut wrenching. It made me sick. It made me sad. It made me angry. And I don't know. And it's yeah, just it's like, a brutal reveal too. It's a brutal reveal yeah. where she's just pinned and it's public. Yeah. You know, like as sweet as everyone is trying to be about it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such an awful, like her secret is revealed, right? Like her, her experience of it is so shameful. And it made um, what Letha did to me when she confronted her on the park bench, even like it made me, I don't like Letha Mondragon yeah, <laughs> actually yeah. a lot in this book. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if it's the class stuff or if it's like her just trying to be this altruistic, like I am just doing good for the world or whatever. Like it was just something about her I didn't like, but in the moment I was like, okay, this is really awkward. I think you could have handled this better. And then, like, once it came out that it actually was true. Yeah. It's like, that's not how you handle that. I, I have no experience at all, but that is not how you do that. Just have two grown men confront her in the town square. Yeah. To go talk to her mom. Like, God. It, it, that is the part of the book. Maybe it's why the bear stuff, like I said, I just don't even remember a lot about it. Because that is the part of this narrative that I can't shake is because right, I know that Stephen Graham, yeah yeah because he he writes about what he feels are problems within his community and uses horror to discuss it and I don't know it that is the part of the book that I can't shake yeah yeah and and it's a part of the book that I feel like it, it may have been why I could barely process the third act because I think I was yeah. a little dissociated. <laughs> I think I was a little overwhelmed no, I about totally like agree. all of the pieces falling into place. From the moment she crawls out of the slaughtered elk pile, which is a theme that is in two of his books so far. Yeah. There's also a lot of slaughtered elk and only good Indians to literally the end of the book where she sets loose the flood. <laughs> like so much crazy shit happens. Mm-hmm. And it's like I can't even process the fact that it was a spectral ghost. Yeah, I know that was walking on the water, and that the water was blessed because there was the preacher down there or whatever. Like, like that part is just like so secondary to like. Totally, you're like I don't care, right? There's a big ghost yeah. reveal, and you're like whatever. <laughs> like, what happened to this mom, right? Or what happened to this dad? I mean, yeah. I think it is this kind of awful moment, too, that there's this. Um, and I think there's there's another book that I read that has um, that's a pretty famous kind of trauma book and has a um, an ending with a kind of brutally non-protective mother. Um, OK, what is that? Uh, it's Bastard Out of Carolina by Dorothy Allison. It was also made into a movie with Jennifer Jason Lee as the mother and I think Dakota Fanning as the daughter. Oh, wow. Bastard it is Out a Carolina rough uh, Dorothy Allison, who's an incredible writer. Okay. And it is, that book will rip your heart out. So just know that. Okay. Um, it is this this thing. And I know in the discussions about that book, too, people have this question about, like, 
because I think your experience is such a frequent one and one that I sometimes share is this kind of like we're madder at the mom we're madder at the unprotective parent than the person who actually enacts violence right and and I think it um it people have said that that kind of like makes us worried about like do we not expect better of men Right, that, that there's yeah, some it, level of it, violence yes. we expect from men. And I, th- I don't know. I just think there is something about, an, about the non-protective parent who isn't always mom, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but a non-protective parent who knows and says, I'm not doing anything about it. There is a certain, like a, such an injury to that. Yeah. It's very interesting, too, because that's something like me and Devin have talked about because she didn't read the book and I was kind of telling her a little bit about it. And it is weird because, like, yeah, I, I, obviously, I hate the dad, and he gets yeah. murdered and stuff. But like, where my feelings went to, were the abandonment by the mother, and it's a really weird, I guess, like looking at it objectively, it's a weird reaction. Like, why is my focus not on him? Like, it's not that it's not right. What he did is evil, and he he's awful. He's like the worst. But it's like my anger is towards like the mom abandoning her daughter like doing yeah. the bare minimum of making sure that she wasn't pregnant or whatever from her yep. dad's sexual assault and then just like leaving her mm-hmm. and like the only nice thing she could do to her is letting her steal a couple dime store candies yeah and i feel like and there it, is but mom is the only one who should have known better and was capable of doing something yeah Right, she knew what was going on and she was capable of stopping it. Whereas like the sheriff and the teacher don't know what's going on and it doesn't allow them to act. Yeah, and like there's also reasons why the sheriff and the teacher are kind of blind to it. Mm -hmm. Like the sheriff lost his daughter, so he has a protective nature over her, but I think he sees her as pure, just lost or misguided. And the teacher... Like, I think he definitely enjoys her. He thinks that she's a different kind of student than he's had before, but he's also towards retirement. He's, like, checked out. He's, like, he's wrapped up in his own his... thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, they're trying, but they aren't there. And then it's just Letha reads it, and she realizes that no one else did, right? But even so, hers is more this almost play acting. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, maybe it's a bad thing for me to say, but that's the way it came across to me where it's like, this is the right thing to do. Like, I'm doing this for you. I'm your friend. Right. Where it's like, we have no indication throughout this narrative that they're friends. Until, like, the, I guess we chase on the boat. But besides that, like, there's no mm-hmm. real indication that there is any kind of friendship between them. It's almost like, like, yes, little puppy, come here, come here. I want to put you in a box and hand you to these two nice dog catchers. Yes. And they're going to, they're going to, you know what I mean? And that, I don't know. I, I just, it's just so crazy because the final act of this book with Jaws playing in the background and the town on these paper mache boats getting ripped to shreds by the spectral ghost is just eclipsed by me trying to process yeah the reveal of the sexual assault, her getting that machete and taking her dad's head off, mm-hmm. and then the fire taking over the town and her having to like unleash the flood again. Yes. Right, and that's the part that I really loved and I thought was so good and realistic in this is that real trauma is kind of layered and overwhelming. 
yeah. where you like can't even process everything that's happening like it's internal between jade and jade and what she can know about her history it's like interpersonal with her family it's with the town and the school it's with the context of race and people like failing indigenous girls like on yeah. all levels like it's there's so many layers to it meanwhile the that there's this surrealist thing of the town like kind of enjoying this fake bloodbath yeah on the lake right like it's so weird and it's so realistic in terms of i think how people experience trauma oh yeah and like the way it's all set up like i could definitely see a town doing that yeah like and having that and just being so distracted it it felt so real and i think the way you described it with because the thing is is like i think that's how jade processes it too like yes we have the ghost girl murdering people and yes we have all this stuff going on and like safety glasses kind of survives and letha almost gets her jaw ripped off like all this stuff is happening but like her focus in that moment is like her accepting the fact that what her dad did to her and how like, yeah that is what she has to do mm-hmm and, and that then, she like, doesn't she does have to just she... play defense mm-hmm. like no one is coming to save her videotaped. yeah yeah <sighs> and then the very end is the bear um, which I had to go yes. reread and look up, like read. Will a you refresh your memory on that scene <laughs> yes. too? She's at the okay. top of the dam building or like yep. something, and she yeah. sees a mother bear throw herself over a baby bear to protect it from the violence of a male bear. Like mom throws herself over a cub. Well, I think we kind of just broke it down. In yeah, this. it's what yeah. her mom didn't do, right? It's like yeah, her, her mom exactly. had the chance to do it. And here she sees in nature in its purest form, this mother bear is willing to put everything at risk to protect her. Mm-hmm. And, maybe and she doesn't believe moms a, do that. Yeah. And, or, or maybe she saw, so there's that. And maybe it's also that this town, which gave nothing to her besides pain and hurt and exclusion, she is doing that to them. She put herself yeah. in harm's way from the spirit ghost and all of that. Right, like she's the protector in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing too, I guess we kind of missed this, is like Letha's dad is definitely a killer too. Yes, he definitely is. He definitely <laughs> like, is trying he's to kill people a killer to cover too. up his crime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I was I guess worried I it was going to go into him being like a killer of the land and the land being like some feminine yeah. allegory i was like oh boy but it didn't go there it was actually i thought it was so good yeah that was another thing that happened too in the only good indians which I, I would recommend if you like this is that you kind of see or think you know where the story is going to go in the third act similar to this takes a giant left turn mm-hmm. and so that, that's why i'm excited to read more and i think that is the perfect segue it's like i mentioned this is the first in a trilogy uh-huh the second one is coming out in February, and it's called Don't Fear the Reaper. And I'm curious, with the end events of what happened, because I haven't looked at any synopsis or anything, I just know that that's the name of the book, mm-hmm. what do you think we're going to get? It's so, I've been thinking about this since you asked this question. I have no idea where this is going to go. I mean, I think she cannot proceed with the same self-concept. Right? And like see, something got shattered yeah. for her. 
internally and she has to see herself in this very different way and so that's going to be so fascinating character wise yeah i i agree with that and the other thing too is like there is no way because we even though there's all this fantasy now especially expressed in this final act she was videotaped killing her dad yeah so if this is a trilogy and it's going to continue her story there is no way she avoids something from that right that's coming back yeah and any protection that she had from the sheriff or the teacher is gone because they're both dead Mm -hmm. so i'm wondering where that kind of places her because now we didn't get anything with her mom in the bloodbath so i have to assume her mom is there with the bear allegory at the end i i could only imagine we want to dive into that further right but if she's but if we're going to stay with this kind of slasher mindset sequels in the slasher universe do not have a very good history like i can literally think of one that was good and it's scream 2 and even then like sydney doesn't have to deal with like there's trauma she has to unpack and everything right but it's not like this like yeah she killed the spectral ghost or send the spectral ghost back to wherever but the killing of her dad no one knows the truth and we already know her mom won't speak to it so is there any chance that she's the reaper maybe yeah i mean i, I think that the title is obviously probably an homage to blue oyster cult right and how like right. it halloween and it's been used all over the place so mm-hmm. but like why not right like if, right because she's cause crawled I, into this like the jumpsuit like she talks about where she's like i'm also the killer and, uh, exactly what you brought up earlier discussing the conversation she had with her teacher about rape revenge and it's different from the slasher genre like it almost makes sense for her to assume that role Mm-hmm. so no i think it's i think it's all very interesting so that leads into the final thing we're going to discuss um justin and i have kind of done this for things that we feel like are hard to score because they're like to each person so we do read now read later or skip so my mm. question to you matilda would you recommend people to read this book now should they read it when they have time or should they just skip it I think they should read it now, but I think they should also know, which which they would know after this conversation, that they yes. need some emo- emotional bandwidth to read this book. This is not a light kind of like, oh, I'm doing dishes and in the third yeah. act of this book. Um, and But I do think you should read it now because I think that we're whatever Don't Fear the Reaper is, is going to be spoilery for this one. Like, I think you want to get ahead of that release date or where you yes. might hear about that book. Yeah, what do you think? I am right there with you on read now, and I definitely agree with you that the thing is, I don't know how you prep people for like the trigger that could be in here for some mm-hmm. without ruining that reveal. Because I feel like that reveal and the way it kind of happens throughout the narrative is what made it so impactful, at least for myself. And so I don't know how you do that without. By protecting vulnerable readers and also by not giving away the goat. Right. But you're right. Like, I'm very fortunate that I don't have any, like, history or anything like, like to that. I mean, it disturbs me, but there's nothing personal to me to that. 
mm-hmm. but I could imagine reading that, especially if you went through a similar trauma where it could fucking hurt. Yeah. And... I will say, I think that anybody who's been through that might see the flags coming. Probably. Yeah. Um, there, there's enough in there that I think it will be re- recognizable to people and less of a, um, a shock. Like it came to me. Like, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Well, thanks. We're going to play a quick commercial from a member podcast and then head on into the closing. Ghosts. Split souls. Monsters. Sociopathic villains. Cold-blooded murders. And nightmares becoming reality. Does this sound like horror to you? Actually, these are all things that can be found in the Harry Potter series. It can be scarier than you might think. I'm Katie. And I'm Audrey. And in our podcast, Wizard Studies, we talk about all these parts of the wizarding world and even some more lighthearted stuff. We can be found anywhere you listen to your podcasts and on Instagram and Facebook as Wizard Studies Podcast and Twitter as Wizard Studies. Now back to your regularly scheduled horror talk on Here's Johnny. So next week, everybody, we have a pre-recorded episode that Justin and I have already recorded. We did a review of Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas. We, we nice. talk about it. We picked our favorite songs. Um, it's going to be a fun episode that's coming out the day after Christmas. Uh, but before we go, Matilda, I w- was hoping that you could plug some of your stuff. I'm not, I'm not sure if you're on Twitter or not, but if there's anything like the Zombie Girl website or your podcast, like this is your time to talk about that. Yeah, I think the easiest place to find me is through the, um, the Zombie Girls social media feeds, which is at ZG Podcasts plural um on instagram and twitter i did join twitter like very recently but i'm, I'm not really on there okay. except to lurk and watch shit shows that um, is all i do <laughs> that's just, I'm just, i post the episode every week and that's literally all i do is just watch this the firebird <laughs> yeah yeah i know i'm like especially local to even head- more so recently it's especially like right now yeah mess. i'm like local to headquarters so it's uh it's something oh yeah over here. that's right um i'm sure it is yeah <laughs> It's intense, um, <laughs> you know, just being like a couple layers out from from some of that through yeah. hands and stuff to be like, good lord, what's happening over there? Um, yeah, gosh, but definitely crazy. check us out. And um, there's lots of good stuff on the Zombie Girls Network, as I'm sure you all know from having had Rachel on the show before. Um, but there's many, many different shows over there. There's more deadly um, talking about. I actually, I wrote them like a three page email for more deadly. Oh, nice. Was it about Don't Worry, Darling? Or was it yep. about a different one? <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, that was it. I haven't yeah. watched that one yet, but I'm excited. Should I not be excited? <laughs> uh, no. I think the movie has a lot to do with it. I just disagreed with some of their interpretations about the the way Florence Pugh was treated in the drama oh. around it. And yeah. Um, Off screen stuff. Yes, the off-screen stuff, and then I also thought the direction was one of the biggest problems with the movie, which oh, they interesting. did not feel like. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So it was fun. I know that's I like a controversial one it. for this year. Yeah. Yeah. Florence Pugh's amazing, though. Is that she's worth watching it by itself? I mean, always, right? She's always amazing. always. Yes. <laughs> I know. I haven't watched the other. There's another one with her this year that I haven't watched. Oh yeah, on Netflix. I haven't gotten to it yet either. It's like yeah, a, Ariel the, the, the says it's piece. great and not a horror movie, but not necessarily a horror movie, okay. but great. Yeah. 
Um, cool. Yeah, and you know, also on the Zombie Girls Network, Larry and Rachel's excellent cast, the Untitled Nick Cage podcast. Um, so yeah, oh, yes. come over and check us out. What are you two talking right, about perfect. next? What's your next Cage? We so cage we both got busy. I was finished. I was finishing up my master's program, and Rachel mm-hmm. got really busy with work. So we kept pushing it, but we are recording January 2nd, and we are finally going to review The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, that movie that came out last summer with Nick Cage. Yes, I loved that movie. Yes, and we we were just talking about it because like, we're, we're both like very empathetic to each other's schedules. So like, if she's like, I had a rough day, I was like, let's push it. <laughs> or mm-hmm. I messaged her and I was like, man, I could use a break. And she's like, let's push it. And it's like, yeah. we have to put it on the calendar and we just have to do it because we're so nice and we understand that like... <laughs> There's a lot going on, and we and we view that as like a like we view it as like fun time. Like there's yeah. no like we don't like put like, we don't put scores to anything. It's more just like similar to this, right? A discussion of like feelings and that kind of everything. So mm-hmm. we wanted to maintain that, and it's so funny because I was going through our because we have a document similar to this where we kind of keep notes, and like I had like I want you to watch a baseball game, and that's way past. And I was like I want you to watch a football game, and now that's past. <laughs> 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 so we have a running joke where it's like we're finally going to do it but we have set aside five hours on january 2nd to sit down and record and then we're going to get back to it because we have to get to like con air and stuff that's why oh, i wanted yeah. to do it con air and national treasure and all that jazz so and i it probably we'll you it. have to have watched a little bit of andor before you sit down for that right i have four episodes in and my plan is to have it done before i record oh, with her. sweet yes yeah, so good so good yeah, I it's it's a much slower burn and it's mm-hmm. more interesting and I'm curious. I, I I am liking it, but I was not prepared for it to be as slower paced because everything else has been fast. Like the Obi Wan show, which I love, but I like Ewan McGregor and Hayden Christensen. Like uh-huh. it was just off and running. This is much more thought out. Yeah, and not dynastic, so, right? Like kind of the everyday yeah. life of Star Wars, which is really like of that universe. And it made it very clear that we're playing with gray areas with Andor killing mm-hmm. <laughs> those two guys like off mm-hmm. it. So, so yeah, I, I am enjoying it, and yeah, all right. So that's oh, what we got. I... Patrons, stick around. We have a fun question for us to discuss. But uh, Matilda, thank you again. I really appreciate it. You you didn't even hesitate when I asked you. So oh I'm, yeah, I'm no, I had such Justin a good time. This was a blast. So, guys, yeah. thanks for hanging out with us. And until thanks for next time, me. stay scary. The Here's Johnny podcast is brought to you by Larry and Justin. You can find the show on Twitter at Here's Johnny Cast, and you can find Larry at Beaver LA. You can find Justin at PickleThing, and you can email the show at Here's Johnny Podcast at gmail.com. You can look us up on Facebook at Here's Johnny Podcast. As always, in the show notes, you can find links to the Discord and to the website. We are also on Instagram at Here's Johnny underscore podcast. Also in the show notes, we'll have a link to the Twitch and YouTube channels. And if you would like to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Here's Johnny Podcast. Every cent goes into the show. And yeah, we just really use it to make the show better. Again, I just want to say thank you very much to our patrons. Uh, You guys help make this possible. But yeah, Patreon is the way we support the show. We are looking to get rich. And like Justin said, every dollar, every cent, it all goes back in. There's some pretty cool tiers. So head on and look at that. But until next week, see you guys later.